morning, folks, on this um, uh, Tuesday of the fourth week of Lent. And the uh, um, title here is, Could the New Thing Be Inclusion? And it's, it's just one of those wonderful and thoughtful passages or commentaries by Richard. And you have to dig around a bit find the connections, and I've really loved preparing it for you. Um, this comes from Richard's book, Wondrous Encounters, Scripture for Lent, and uh, I read you his commentary and the readings, and then um, try to pull out a message uh, for us for our Lenten journey today. And that lesson today is going to be inclusion and unity, if you can bear that in mind. The readings are Isaiah 65, um, verses 17 to 21, and you will hear a reference to the third Isaiah. In case you don't know, Isaiah is divided up into three parts. It's first Isaiah, or proto-Isaiah, second Isaiah, or deutero-Isaiah, and um, third Isaiah, or trito um, and they're, they're sort of they're, they're different um, now this is third Isaiah or trito Isaiah and it is if I remember correctly the last bit of Isaiah I think from verse 55 through to the end uh, so if you want to go and uh, have a look at it uh, and you'll see this is uh, Isaiah 65 which is very close to the end Right, here we go. There is not a clear and evident connection between the two readings today. Sorry, the second reading was John 4, 43 to 54. Two beautiful books, two of my favorites. So I'm in my element today. And I hope you share and can, I hope that passion and joy is infectious for you. I'll start again. There is not a clear and evident connection between the two readings today. Just plenty of opportunities for the reader and the preacher to make the connections themselves. Let's try this one. Most of us have been led to believe that prophets foretell the future. That is true, but it's also misleading. It is not the point here. Prophets are seers of the big patterns. They see what is always and forever true. Prophets like Isaiah know how God acts by watching and listening. And they have no doubt about the meta-narratives, the real story that is always going on inside of our little stories. One of the big patterns is that God's message always gets wider and more universal, despite our best attempts to limit it. So when 3rd Isaiah talks about Yahweh creating new heavens and a new earth, and delight and rejoicing, the passing away of weeping and crying, or the extended life of a man. He is not so much talking about concrete particulars as he is talking about universals, the big things that are always true and might also be true here or there. 
It seems that the ancient peoples had a larger sense of history and truth than we do. Maybe they were just more patient in seeing the big patterns unfold. So when we have Jesus come back to Galilee, and we are now in this gospel, gospel reading, the first new thing is that he is accosted by a royal official who wants a miracle for his dying son. Now for a non-Jew of the nobility to trust an itinerant Jewish healer with no formal credentials is certainly a breakthrough into newness. The official trusts Jesus at his word with no evidence at hand. When the official returns home, his weeping is indeed turned into delight. And we have one of the few examples of non-local healing in Jesus' ministry. There is no mention whatsoever. I love this part. There is no mention whatsoever of any checklists of beliefs, no correct loyalty systems, no asking whether the royal royal official is in his first marriage or whether he has made a good confession of his sins. It really seems, it really rather seems irresponsible of Jesus. The whole story seems to be an illustration of the opening line. A prophet gets no respect from his own. That's John 4:44. You are often asking the wrong questions, it seems. As it comes to be expected in the Gospels, it is the outsider who invariably gets it, while the insiders will largely continue to fight him, and as they defend much smaller truths, the circle of the biblical revelation keeps widening to create that new earth of Isaiah, and within a century, a people who will call themselves Catholic or universal. Here comes everybody. One wonders how we ever made religion into any kind of exclusionary system whatsoever when the majority of Jesus' healings seem to happen to the excluded ones and maybe even the unworthy ones. So today's readings, um, the things of the past shall not be remembered or come to mind. Instead, there will be happiness, there will be rejoicing and happiness in what I create. That's the uh, excerpt of the reading from Isaiah 65, 17 to 18. And then there's another excerpt from John 4, 50 and 53. The man who put his trust in the word that Jesus, Jesus had spoken to him and set off for home. He had his whole household thereupon became believers. Right, let's go back. Well, you know, everything that speaks to me from the, these, these uh, readings and the commentary that Richard has created around them is just simply to say, um, you know, we get so caught up in the little things of life. 
and we get angry with God because he has made us sick or our aunt has died. It's always his fault, isn't it? And people ask, why does God do these cruel things? Well, you know what? God has a bigger picture in mind and maybe that's tough when it's you who's suffering. Look at the people of Ukraine and how they are suffering. And my honest belief is that tragedy and trauma of that size is bringing about something new. Um, And yes, while I feel enormous compassion for those people, um, I have to stand back and say to myself, we do not serve a cruel God. So he is not doing this, but if he is, he's doing it for a reason. He's bringing about a change. He's trying to rebirth something. And possibly we are getting in the way. Certainly, possibly Russia is getting in the way. I don't know. My point is that, yes, while we get caught up in the compassion and we must, and we must do everything we can to pray for those people and to help if we can, But we also need to have faith in the idea that God is trying to birth something new, something where we will be in unity with everyone. We will be in universal unity with God. And I kind of really look forward to a world like that have no pain. That beautiful song about Jerusalem, I thought I um, I saw the new Jerusalem. That is what, that is what is coming, revelation, Uh, the new Jerusalem, the new kingdom of God comes down from the sky in jewels and gems and beautiful lights bouncing off each other in this kaleidoscope of just overwhelming extravagance of glory of God. Okay, let's get back to the beginning. So he starts off by telling us about the prophets and how they always took this long-range view and that was the basis for their wisdom. You know, it's like saying, I can't think of an example, or of course, just because I want to. Um, When a a child is possibly complaining, you know, that he's got, he's struggling with the schoolwork, perhaps writing matric, um, he's got aches and pains in his body from studying all the time, he's frustrated, he's anxious, he will fail. You can kind of see there, yes, this is suffering, but this is suffering to a greater good because he's going to get his matric, he's going to get his education, he's going to be able to make a life where he has the wisdom to help other people, we hope. So that's that's an example of, of seeing the bigger picture. So my, I use my... Uh, stepdaughter again she wanted to be a doctor and 
she, we all knew, I knew that that's what God had gifted her for. That's her big picture. She is struggling to do all the work. She is tired. She is frustrated. She is impatient. But she's moving towards the greater good. So the prophet Isaiah, when he prophesies these lovely words, new heavens and a new earth, I honestly believe that's a new heaven and a new earth where we will be inclusive, where we will be together in unity. We will love one another. Pardon the Adidas. Isaiah promises us uh, a passing away of weeping and crying. If I could just go to Ukraine and share those words with them, I wonder if they would find hope. I actually think they would. They have strong, such strong hearts for God. You came, we came across this word Catholic later on, and I'm not sure, um, it was quite a long time before I understood it. We use it um, in some part of the Eucharist, I can't put my finger on it right now. I think it might be in one of the creeds. Um, but, and you know, people uh, sometimes say, why do we talk about Catholics? We're not Catholics. No, we're not Catholics, but the word Catholic means universal. And the reason for that is that when the Catholic Church um, was first formed for many, many years, it was the one church, it was the universal church. It only started breaking up into Protestantism and Lutherism and all those things splintering uh, towards the end of the 20th century in the Enlightenment, uh, the Romantic phase, somewhere around there. So Catholic, yes, it does mean a Catholic religion, but it also has that universal meaning. Um, and that's how we need to read it here. And then we move on to the Gospel uh, reading where this royal official, um, I think it was a Roman, a Roman soldier or a Roman official, who uh, asks Jesus to... Uh, heal his son. It's interesting that often in the moment of desperation that we will turn to God and even the most unbelieving God people will turn to God in that desperate situation and it's wonderful to me how the glory of God is shown in this experience with this Roman official because he goes home and his whole household is converted to uh, following Jesus. So it's very often when we do what Jesus wants us to do that his kingdom is glorified and extended. So um, I, I, this piece I just love, you know, when you uh, go in, uh, you, know, you want to be baptized or you want to be married and then you, you know, you get the 20 questions, you know, are you if you want to be married, are you baptized? Are you confirmed? Um, you know, are you are you divorced? This absolute, you know, personal diatribe of judgment that you have to withstand. The absolute worst thing for me is, and 
I actually experienced it personally, not for myself, but for my husband, my second husband when we got married, who was divorced. And in the beginning of the wedding ceremony, the sacramental wedding ceremony, they ask the person who is divorced, they bring up that marriage and ask the person if it really is over, you know, and, and were they at fault, and all these kinds of implications of that, that questioning at the beginning of a marriage service of a divorced person. Absolutely hated. I think it is so inappropriate when we are joining two people together in bonds of love. Anyway, enough. I seem to be on lots of hobby horses this morning. So here is this wonderful message of unity. Again, coming through in the gospel story because Jesus does not discriminate against that Roman official. He's not a follower of Christ at the time. He is part of the Roman community which persecuted Jesus. He was a great threat to them and they eventually killed him. Um, but he didn't stop to think about that. He didn't stop to check his credentials. He just said to him, your son is healed. And the, the, the man went home and his son was fine. And that's what we're talking about here. That, you know, we, 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 we need to see a much bigger world. We, we need to be inclusive of all the people that God created in their richness their, of their diversity. I'm a white person. I love the Indian culture. It's, it's one I know fairly well. The Hindus and the Muslims totally different. But both have such richness in their culture. More than I have. And I really love that. The Muslim people. People of the heart of God. Who took care of us. Christian church people at the time of the riots. That is inclusion. That is showing the glory of God. I'm being too long today. I really am. So let me close off. So what I want to close off with is, is I want to just take a little vignette from, from church life. Because I really want us to start at the level of the church in terms of this looking at this bigger picture and loving everybody and getting getting our minds right around what is important. Now, so often in churches, and, and as a priest's wife, I, I see this all the time, people get bogged down in the little stories. And they create most enormous conflict and division about things that really do not matter. Who forgot to buy the wine? Um, who wasn't praying on their knees last Sunday? Who wasn't in church last Sunday and why? And who was singing off-key in the choir? And, you know, they get so bound up and their egos just are the foundation for this... Uh, what's the word I want? For this... Uh, 
building this conflict between people, destroying the love between people, destroying the unity between God's people. And they need to just open their eyes and see that, you know, there's a whole beautiful kingdom of God out there that's waiting for them. If they can just let go of the little things, the little stories that they cling to because they need to feel important. They are important. They are extremely important in God's eyes. They are dearly loved by God if they could just see that and let go. You know, quite a long time ago, and I still do it today, you know, I was thinking about the same thing in my own life and I actually decided that I was going to, when something upset me or made me uncomfortable or triggered me in some way, I was going to stop and say to myself, does it matter? Is it going to be have any consequence in the long run? Um, is this something that I really need to invest my emotional energy in? Nine times out of ten, the answer was no, and I could let it go. And I have talked way too much this morning. Focus her, forgive me, but I just love this whole passage. And I'm going to leave you with the starter prayer. I've talked so much, my iPad has gone to sleep. The starter prayer, God of all names and all love, give us hearts to include all that you are willing to include, to forgive all that you so easily forgive, and to join you in doing something truly new on this earth. I'm going to read it again. God of all names and all love, give us hearts to include all that you are willing to include. To forgive, to forgive, it's Lent, folks. To forgive all that you so easily forgive. And to join you in doing something truly new on this earth. I encourage you, write or think about this starter prayer and expand on it. Give it meaning in your life. God of all names and all love, give us hearts to include all that you are willing to include, to forgive all that you so easily forgive and to join you in doing something new on this earth. The Adi does what have they say and I'm going to say God bless.